Welcome to the Black Voice. It's time to get real. We are here to motivate and promote positive change for black culture. And this is a show featuring you. Call into the show 24-7 at anchor.fm slash blackvoicej. From there, hit message and you can be heard on future episodes. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe and rate on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be sure you don't miss any future episodes. This is the Black Voice with Jay Clark. Y'all stay tuned. back to the black voice thank you all for tuning in this week this is episode 16 and i appreciate all the continued support that we're getting numbers are growing and we're reaching more people and i can't thank you guys enough for the continued support if this is your first time listening i encourage you to go back scroll through the recent episodes the old episodes anyone that you find interesting go ahead tune into it you know check it out and, and be involved in the conversation this week, I'm coming to you guys with, with heavy hearts, which I'm sure we all do. In the wake of the shooting up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, involving Jacob Blake and yet another police officer. And I just want to encourage every single person out there to continue to grind, man. Continue to motivate those beneath you. Continue to motivate those next to you. And continue to encourage those above you. You know what I'm saying? It's no time to, to throw another pity party. It's no time to sit on our hands. It's time to keep it pushing, keep building, keep moving forward. Everyone's going to ask, what's next? What should we do? And it's all reactive. I really think we need to hone in on proactive activity, man. I think we need to start making change for ourselves today. I don't want to wait for someone to tell us what to do. And we definitely shouldn't be waiting for the next thing to happen or some direction from somewhere. Make change right where you are. I think that's the only thing that we can and should be doing at this point. And we're going to do that right here on The Black Voice today as we were joined by a very, a very special guest. And this is one of the, the most important interviews maybe we've had so far. We're going to talk a little economics, a little finances. And don't run away from me now. I want you guys to stay tuned, hear what Mr. Kwok has to say. Um, he's the owner of an equity firm. Him and his brother have tons of things going in real estate. Um, I actually went to school with him, so I thank him for joining me. I hope you guys can can learn from him today. Um, and of course, if you have anything to add to the conversation, any questions to follow up, go ahead and hit us at anchor.fm slash blackvoicej. Find the message tab and go ahead and reach out to us. Also, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at blackvoicej. And if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe and like us on any platform you're listening on. And give us that rating, man, just so we can reach more people. Y'all keep it locked right here for a very special episode and a very important conversation with Mr. Daniel Kwok of the Kwok Brothers. Y'all stay tuned. The following message is from our sponsor, Negritis. Negritis is a family-owned and operated Afrocentric apparel boutique. Celebrating the beauty of blackness and the power of melanin. 
Find Negratees on Instagram at Negratees. That's N-E-G-R-A-T-E-E-S. Or shop at Etsy.com slash shop slash Negratees. That's Etsy.com slash shop slash Negratees. Guys, welcome back to The Black Voice. Today I'm joined by a very, very special guest, Mr. Daniel Kwok, who I attended school with briefly, um, who's now on to, as an equity firm, has some different things in real estate and business. Um, so I definitely welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you, Manny. I appreciate you you bringing in, you know, uh, different voices on this podcast. You know, obviously for those that can't see me, you know, I'm not black. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I'm South Korean. I'm actually an immigrant to this country. So yeah, we, you know, it was great. We, you know, we met at college and, you know, it's awesome how our paths collided and now, now it collides again. And as we talk about some pretty important issues. No doubt. No doubt. So how has the early journey been? Um, the equity company is relatively new from what I understand. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get, I'll just kind of explain very briefly, man, my story, you know, so I immigrated to this country when I was five years old and, um, you know, when we first came here, we, we had barely anything. You know, my parents and I, my brother, my older brother, you know, our, our apartment was, I think the rent was three ninety, and uh, we lived next to, you know, what I, what I call a gentleman's entertainment center. That's pretty, you know, <laughs> more busier at night. If you kind of get what I mean, sure. um, you know, and that's, that's the, that's where we live. You know, we, you know, I mean, we slept in the car some nights cause we couldn't afford to pay the heating bill. I liked going to school cause I got food. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we grew up, you know? And then, I remember one time I was a teenager and, you know, things weren't good. I had negative $187 in my bank account and, you know, I mean, I, life just sucked. You know, I mean, I just financially, I, I mean, so for a lot of you guys listen, they're like, oh, I grew up eating syrup sandwiches and I grew up, you know, just being poor. Well, yep. You know, there's me. Um, I was, I was right there with you. So I get it. Um, so that's when, that's when God really introduced me to an individual who, who, knew a lot about real estate investing and you know he had a mentorship program and i paid and my brother and i we actually called our credit card company and we begged them to increase the line just so we could enter this educational program and it wasn't cheap right it was like i think something along the lines of two thousand dollars that we had to that we had to pay um so we got in and we just worked our butts off man i mean i'd wake up at 7 a.m. and you know wouldn't go to sleep till one two and the whole time i'd be learning about real estate you know i'd be learning about stocks commodities finances um and you know i mean i was really just busting my butt did you guys join that real estate group while you guys were still in college no not necessarily so i know there was a you know we went to the same college you know i know there was an investment club you know i don't know if you remember but um, you know, my buddy Joe was in it, you know, I had a couple friends in it and I, I don't know why, but it just didn't resonate with me. You know, I mean, a, a little bit about me, man, is I, I never want to do something the same way everybody does, you know, does something, you know, I want to be unique. I want to, I want to find new ways of doing it. Um, and that, that's what motivates me, you know, being, being the first to do this or being the only guy to do that, you know, um, it, it, it motivates me. So I was never really motivated to join the investment club. You know, I, I didn't really see a whole lot of value in stocks, to be honest. I think stocks is one of the worst things you can invest in, just in my opinion, you know. Um, so I didn't really, you know, I mean, it was funny, too. I didn't even major in business until junior year. And even when I did major in business, I majored in nonprofit business, you know. Um, 
So, you know, I mean, I, I got started, I, I busted my butt. I took other educational courses. I would actually miss class to drive 45 minutes north to shadow somebody who was investing in real estate. I, and I do that two, three times a week. So, I mean, my grades were horrible, by the way. Like, I was a straight D student. My name is Daniel. The D stands for the grades I got. And, and <laughs> my professors, and I had one professor who was super cool. He was like, listen, man, I know what you got going on outside of class. Don't stop. Keep going. You know what I mean? Like you can always come back and I'll change your grade if you want. Right. But like, I know, I know you've got potential. Like I know you work hard, keep doing what you're doing outside of class. And before I knew it, by the time I was 23, you know, I had 87 apartments. Um, you know, I, I had over six, $7 million worth of real estate to my name. Um, you know, and, and we, we did a lot of 23, yeah. <laughs> at 23. Yeah. And I had a digital marketing company that was, that was making me six figures a year too. So at around the, around that time, um, so it was, it was something very special, you know, and then that's when God kind of called me to to other directions in life. And he called me to start a, a real estate equity firm, uh, an equity fund. Um, and that's where I am today, man. I'm, I'm blessed. That's what's up. That's what's up, man. Thanks for sharing. And seeing your brother, I, of course, we went to school together. There were yeah. images in my head. I would see your brother in the library straight grinding, man. And I'm, I'm a freshman. I believe your brother and I are the same age. So he's in there just chucking away in the library. I'm wondering like, what's this, what's this guy doing? What are some like principles, man, that, that maybe weren't instilled in your family, maybe just among, you know, you and your sibling, how did he stay focused? What, what was that grind in him that enabled him to, to lock in and get things done? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say my parents, you know, because my, my dad's a pastor my mom, my mom is a piano teacher, right? I mean, how much more stereotypical can you get? But, you know, I mean, my dad, you know, he's, he was a pastor and, you know, he came over to Chicago and uh, we had nothing. So, I mean, he was, he was, what, what I saw at least as a kid was, man, if you, if you commit to something, like you do it, you know, because my, my dad was committed to God and, and what he wanted for his life. And God told him to go to Chicago. And, and you know, my dad was like, all right, like, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going. You know, and even though we had no money, you know, we didn't, we didn't speak the language. We didn't know the culture. I mean, we knew nothing, dude. Like we didn't even knew, know, know English enough to apply for, you know, food stamps or government assistance. We didn't, we didn't have that, you know, I mean, we still survived without it, you know? And so to, to see what he was willing to go through for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's obedience, I mean, that's what I saw growing up. And for me, like, that was like, all right. Like, that's what commitment looks like. So if I'm going to commit to something, like, I'm going to do it at that level. And by the way, like, if you want to know the number one reason why people fail, and people fail at anything, whether it's starting a business, whether it's marriage, whether it's a relationship, it's like a commitment. You know, like, I always tell people marriage, business, you know, starting a business, um, marriage, a lot of these big things that, that people want in life, right? Like, people want success financially. People want success, you know, in their love life and different things. All they are, man, is a mirror. It's all they are is it's a mirror of, of showing you who you truly are. You know, I mean, there's nothing better at showing how selfish of a human being you are until you get married. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I thought I was a good person until I got married. And then, you know, God showed, you know, my, my, the relationship I had with my wife to show me, he's like, Hey man, like you're, you're not as good of a person as you think you are. You're not, you're not as selfless as you think you are. Like, there's, there's room to grow. You know, there's still aspects of Christ-like characteristics that you can still work on. And I'm glad, you know, and same thing with business. There's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there who I'm sure listen to this. And, and you know, my observancy is it, it tends a lot to do with um, 
with with cultures that have been disenfranchised, unfortunately. And a lot of them, a lot of them say, "Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. I'm going to be a millionaire by age 30. You know, I'm going to speak it into existence." I really don't like that. When I hear stuff like that, it makes actually makes my skin crawl. Like it just makes me cringe. And I'll tell you why is because when you have a goal like that of like, "Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire by 25." your entire actions are predicated on hitting that goal as opposed to you looking at 40, 50 years ahead. And the most successful people that I know, and and I'm friends with billionaires, multimillionaires, every single one of them, man, they got to where they are. And I'm talking about the self-made guys. I'm not talking about, you know, the dude who grew up, you know, silver platter, silver spoon, you know, his dad owns a business, you know, mom was a country club, right? I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the guy who grew up in the projects and, you know, and suffered, you know, and, and been through some things and started a business in despite of all things and, and overcome obstacle after obstacle. I'm talking about that guy. Those people, they folk, they look 30, 40, 50 years ahead. And that's what makes them successful. But, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs say, I'm going to be a millionaire by 25. I, I don't like that because now you're, now you're goal oriented. And for me, let me tell you, man, I'm not goal oriented because when you have a goal of three years from now, and you don't do the things you're supposed to do today to hit those things, you justify it. You're like, oh, I can do those things tomorrow as long as I still hit that goal. You know, so for me, I always encourage people, don't set goals, set standards and expectations that you expect of yourself every single day. If you can do that, the goal will be a byproduct. I didn't, I didn't ask to be a millionaire by 23, right? That was never my goal. But it just so happened I talked to my mentor at age 19, and he said, listen, if you do these things every single day, right, you will be successful. And it just so happened that the byproduct of my actions that I did every single day, it transpired into me being a millionaire and controlling millions of dollars worth of real estate by age 23. And in all reality, man, I, I hate even using that word millionaire. Like, I don't, I don't want to tell, like, dude, I still drive a 2011 Toyota Corolla, you know, like that's the <laughs> same car I drove in high school. Like, I hate telling people I'm a millionaire and I'm, I'm almost like regretting me saying this in the podcast, you know, that word millionaire, because like, that's all people see. Like I'm taking attention away from the process and putting it towards the result, you know? Most definitely. Most, I think you just dropped some, some gems right there, man. As far as mindset, as far as goal setting processes, uh, definitely you guys and take, take notes on this one. Um, but you guys mentioned, I'm sorry, you mentioned your passions earlier for, for black entrepreneurship, you just recently, you just briefly spoke on that. Can you just go into that a little bit more? Like what you see? Yeah, man. Yeah. And for, for one, you know, we're in such an interesting time in our country, you know, um, very interesting time, especially racially, you know, and, and I've, and I have my fair share of, of, you know, racism that I've experienced as an, as an Asian American, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm on the basketball court and, and they're like, Oh, you know, you're like Jeremy Lin or you're like Yao Ming. You know, and I'm just like, I don't play like any one of those guys, you know? Um, you know, I mean, my favorite player is Stephen Curry, you know what I mean? And, and, or, you know, whether I'm at the mall and I remember there was one time I was with my friends and we were all Korean, you know, we were kind of doing like a mini reunion and, and we literally had three kids, you know, three high schoolers, you know, they looked at us and they did the the thing with the eyes, right? They, they stretched the eyes back and they're like, Oh, ching chong chong. And, and, you know, there was a multitude of other things that I've experienced throughout my life, but I'm sure for you as an African-American male, you could, I'm sure you definitely could say the same thing, um, you know, living in America, but that it is what it is. You know I mean? Everybody, it's almost like today, everybody wants to, you know, everyone wants to be, 
like say that they're special for some reason, right? Like, I mean, you have, you have a lot of females who are like, oh, there's sexism in this country. And there's, you know, it's almost seemed like unless you're a straight white male and I'm, I almost feel bad. Like I told, I told my buddy who's a straight white male. And obviously there's a lot of those, but you know, I, I, I told him like, dude, I almost feel bad for you, man. Cause I mean, it's almost like you're the only, you know, people, you're only, you're the only demographic that doesn't quote unquote suffer, you know? But it, I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, one of the things I'm really passionate about, man, one of my dreams actually in life is to be the owner of the Chicago Bulls. Um, so like, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, right? Cause a lot of people are like, why, why do you have that dream? It's such a big goal, you know? Well, the, the rain, the main reason as to why I want to own the Chicago Bulls is because I want to use that as a platform to really help cultivate, encourage and sustain the South side of Chicago. You know, I mean, I think there's a reason why God called my, our family, not just my dad, our family to the city of Chicago. Um, because I think he saw a lot of brokenness, um, in the South side. I think he saw a lot of pain, um, you know, a, a lot of healing that needed to be done. And, and a lot of, you know, his kids, right? God's children who are hungry, right? Not just spiritually, but also physically as well. Um, so, you know, God put a, a passion in my heart, man, to, uh, to, to one day go to the South side of Chicago and teach financial literacy. Cause I mean, if you really break down and, and, and let's be real, you know, when I'm talking about the South side of Chicago, I'm talking about the African-American population. You know, we, we can't, these are things that we just can't ignore, right? There's, there's unfortunate stats, man, that, that makes our hearts drop when we hear these things, you know, um, talking about the poverty rate among people there, talking about the lack of education, you know, the, the deaths, you know, the lack of father, you know, the fatherhood, the lack of fathers, um, in those areas. It, it's, it's so unfortunate. And these are problems that we need to solve, man. And we gotta, we need to first off address the fact that no politician is going to fix that. We just need, we just need to, you know what I mean? Like, we just need to accept that now. I don't care if you, you know what I mean? If you, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, it, it does not matter. We just, well, that's fact. We have to accept it now, you know, that the politicians are not going to help us do that. You know, they're more, they're more worried about getting voted in the next term than they are, you know, fixing real problems. We just have to address it. I don't care, you know, if that person's name is Donald Trump or if that person's name is, you know, Camilla Harris. Like, I, I don't care. you right. Like, show me what they've done, you know, to help these communities. Um, so that's one of my dreams, man. So one of my best friends, and I think I told you off the air, you know, I, I have two guys that are, that are my you know, very close friends. One of them's my absolute best friend. And these are guys I just do life with. Um, and both of them are formerly incarcerated and one of them is African-American and, and one of them I actually took under my wing. Um, and I, and I mentored him in the world of real estate and he's got work ethic, man. He, you know, his first year of doing deals, he made half a million dollars, you know? So, you know, one of the things I would like to see is, is more financial education in those spaces. Um, because that's really the big thing that's holding people back, you know, I mean, it, it, through my observation. And again, this is just my observation. People can have a discussion with me. I'm more than open to doing that. But what I've observed in this country is, is a lot of times the color of somebody's skin, you know, a lot of times will bring consequences. That's true. We cannot deny that, right? There is racism in this country. I don't care who you are, right? I felt it. You felt it, right? Even if you're white, you feel it, you know? But on the other hand of the spectrum, I believe in my observation, there is a bigger form of discrimination because of somebody's bank account, Right? There's, let, there, let's be real, right? There's, if, if you're, if you're a minority, right? There is racism. But if you have money, the game changes. You get treated differently, right? Like, there's, there's absolutely no ways about it. So, 
if we're really going to fix, you know, the, the, and I don't want to use the word fix. I don't think there's anything to fix, but if we're going to encourage and, and almost enhance, cause I guarantee you, there's a lot of kids in the South side of Chicago right now who would make phenomenal entrepreneurs because they know how to work. Right. And they got street smart. Right. And these are, these are kids that I want to mentor, right? Like give me those kids because those are the kids, man. Like, whoa! if you just give them the tools and you give them at least the opportunity, like they're going to fly, you know? So I'm working with a couple people, man. You know, one of my, one of my really good friends, you know, he's, he's a chaplain for an NFL team. Um, and he's from these type of communities. And I've got a couple other resources and, and friends that, that are willing to make some introductions for me. Um, and that's one of my goals, man. That's one of the things I actually want to start doing now. You know, unfortunately, due to all this COVID thing, it, it kind of derailed a lot of my plans. But, you know, I actually uh, had an opportunity to get on the phone with the state senator and, and talk with, um, you know, a lot of the correctional department of correctional institutes. And I mean, I, I was actually supposed to go in one of the prisons and start teaching investing. But unfortunately, due to COVID, a lot of things got derailed. That's, just, that's a major leap in itself, man. I know what brought us here today was uh, I made a post about inflation and, and some different things. Can you do your best in explaining? Um, there's just a lot of information out there. The difference between the Federal Reserve, the United States and say, say big banks and how those relationships intertwine. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, man, I mean, like I like I did in the message, I really commend you because people don't talk about money, you know, and, and it stems from, you know, I mean, the 90 percent of families that I know. I mean, the money is an uncomfortable topic, you know, and, and we need to change that in America. You know, one of the biggest reasons why we see the stats we do today and we see the income inequality today is because, you know, lack of financial education, right? I mean, you can't be mad at the man who, you know, who, who grew up in a very predominant neighborhood, right? They grew up wealthy and he wants to teach his kids the same thing that he knows. We can't be mad at that, right? But at the same time, we can't blame you know, the family who, you know, they grew up poor. And, and when you grow up poor, I always say all you learn is poor, right? Because that's how I grew up. So we can't, we can't be mad at both those families for, you know, whether it's lack of, you know, ignorance in the financial education space or, or a father who's wealthy and wants to teach his kids to do the same thing. Like we can't blame either one of those parents. Um, so, you know, I mean, I commend you, right? You started the conversation. Um, so you, you made a post about inflation and, and I think I, you know, made a comment saying that I slightly disagreed. And, you know, and that is one of the biggest misconceptions about economics is, is inflation, right? People are always worried about inflation, inflation. And we're seeing on the news that, you know, that there's the Federal Reserve is printing out money. Here, here's the biggest thing that people need to know about the Federal Reserve. And, you know, people could do their own research on what the Federal Reserve is. I don't think we have enough time for me to dive deep into it. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's a it's a it's a lot, man. You know that, um, you know, the, one of the big things that the people need to know about the Federal Reserve, it, it is not a government entity. People think just because the word federal is in it, that it's a government entity or it's a government subsidy. It is not. It actually has private shareholders. It's a private organization that for some reason have the power to print money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's crazy if you think about that. Um, so, so one of the big things that worry me right now, in, in terms of where we're at, right? Because I want to talk about it from a pragmatic standpoint, you know, and how in terms of how it's going to affect all of us is I'm not worried about the inflation as much, right? I mean, if you think about the cost of uh, of gas, right? If you think about the cost of gas, gas 30, 40 years ago was what 50 cents per gallon, right? 50, 60 cents. Um, and today, you know, you get a gallon of, of gas, you know, you're talking about $3, right? You know, maybe it's $2.97, depending on what state you're in. 
So you're talking about a huge increase, right? You're talking about a 600% increase in the span of the last 30, 40 years uh, in terms of a cost of something. You could apply the same thing with a house, right? I mean, I'm a real estate guy, right? I mean, I literally saw a house. I was looking up records. You know, this house was last sold in 1979, right? It was, you're talking about 41 years ago. It got sold for $38,000. Today, it's worth $695,000. So, I mean, there's, there's big increases. Inflation will always occur, right? Like, it, honestly, if you look at this, the history of time, right, inflation has always, always occurred. What I'm worried about the most is the idea of leverage, right? And that's where we get into the conversation with big banks and whatnot. If you look at the big banks right now in the world, the biggest banks, I'm not talking about your, you know, your local community, right? I'm not talking about Naperville North Community Bank and Trust, right? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about big banks like SockGen, Deutsche, Morgan, right? I mean, JP, right? I mean, a lot of these banks, for some of them at least, not all of them, but for some of them, um, they're at the highest leverage point that this global economics has ever seen, right? So to kind of give you an idea, right, if you're talking about monetary policy, every bank is required to have what's known as a reserve requirement, right? That's the amount of cash that a bank has to hold in order to borrow from the Federal Reserve to then lend to you guys, which, by the way, is a very rigid system, right? Because you're talking about, oh, all I need is a dollar. I get $10 and I get to loan that out, you know, to, to any person I want at an extremely, you know, amortized rate, which, by the way, the way they borrow from the Fed is very different than the way we borrow from the bank. And that's where the banks make their money, right? Like, it's not a coincidence that the bankers are, you know, the richest entities in the world, Um like that's it's a system that has been set up, unfortunately, not to screw over one particular you know race of people, but to screw over everyone, right? Um, as as human beings, which is kind of sad. Very important to realize that it's not very it's important not to realize. Thing. It's, it's a green it's exactly, thing. right, right? Because I I guarantee you the people at the top, right? The people at the top who are the rich, 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 like they want us to fight about race. You mm. know what I mean? Like they want us to do these things because guess what they own? They own the insurance companies. They own you know all these companies that benefit off of us you know being divided. So. Um, so let's go back. So the, so the reserve requirement. So typically, if you're looking at a 10 to 12 year market cycle, the average reserve requirement is 10%, meaning a bank needs to have 10% of liquidity for its borrowing functionality, right? There's two things that's going on right now. Number one, the capital that they're using to leverage, right? That 10% that we're talking about is extremely artificial, right? They're using all sorts of different fugazi fugazi to be able to leverage from the Federal Reserve. And my instinctuality tells me there's not a lot of accountability, just like we saw in 2008 with the rating agencies who gave a lot of these, you know, CDOs phenomenal AAA ratings. Where I, I feel, you know, my notion because there's no way we can artificially have that number if there's if there's a you know, system of accountability. We just can't do that, you know. And not only that, but we're seeing a lot of these ratios in terms of leverage be dropped down closer to five percent instead of ten percent. And matter of fact, if you actually look at some studies that were released, um, we see that we see the same amount of leverage ratios from these big banks that we saw back in 2008. Um, here's what I didn't tell you. These studies were released in 2018. Um, and the last two years, unfortunately, have not been too kind for us. So we're seeing extreme levels of over-leveraging right now amongst the big banks. And that's the part that really scares me. Because it's, it's when the leverage gets too big from these big banks, and that's when the American people suffer. And we, we've had, I think the number is $5.6 trillion worth of 401k savings, bonds, pension funds, real estate values, uh, household, household savings, 
$5.6 trillion worth were, were lost. And, and the American people had to pay for it. You know, every single one. You know, our parents, your parents, people like me and you, man, we paid for it. And what, what was, what, 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 how did that happen? Well, it's because of the, you know, savings and loans crisis. It's because, you know, the Great Recession of 2008. And that happened because the banks were extremely over leveraged with the financial tools and the derivatives, derivatives that they were using to make money. So I think most importantly is to realize that the Fed is, is separate from the United States. And just thinking about the trickle of money, it's, it's really starting with the Federal Reserve, it's going down to the U.S., down to the big banks, down to the regional banks, down to the businesses. And then eventually it'll trickle down to the to the regular civilians. There are different entities. You know, I mean, the Federal Reserve, they're responsible for monetary policy. You know, the government, they're responsible for fiscal policy. You know, one, one's not necessarily greater than the other. Um, but man, you know, to your point, right, there, there are a lot of globalist entities around banking that, that control, man, they control a lot of things. So yeah, there is a hierarchy for sure. That's nice. And I don't know if you're under any type of like SEC guidelines or anything, but can you just speak on, I know you mentioned earlier, stocks are one of the worst investments right now. Can you just kind of speak on that as it relates to Forex as well as crypto, if you get that in there at all? Yeah, I'll speak on that, whatever you want. So for me, I'm not, I'm just not bought into crypto yet. A lot of people, the reason, and and I'll tell you why a lot of people are so crypto crazy. Um, And I say that a lot, crypto crazy. You know, it's because right now they believe that the U.S. dollar is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Um, it's not. And let me tell you why. Because number one, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency in the world. Um, it's very, very tough to dethrone uh, a U.S. currency reserve, a reserve currency that is ex- especially centered around an economy like the U.S. Um, it's very difficult, right? I mean, and you'll, you'll have to see a number of things happen um, before that then in turn turns into play. And another thing, too, is, you know, let me tell you why a lot of people who, who invest in the crypto who make the argument saying that, oh, the U.S. dollar is getting weaker. And by the way, it's the same thing with commodities, right? We, you see the price of gold skyrocketed, skyrocketed, right, in the last year or so. You know, and the funny thing is back in 2017, I was telling everybody to buy gold. You know why? Because, you know, if you, if you go to usdebtclock.org, you know, you'll see that, you know, back in 2010, the administration signed a record number of what's known as tenure treasuries, right? We have one known as quantitative easing. And those tenure treasuries, man, they were up in 2020. You know, the, 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 the person was knocking at the door. They're like, hey, where's my money? It's time to pay up, right? So I knew they were either A, uh, going to face a huge market correction and just take a loss, or B, they're going to print even more money because that's just what you have to do, right? You're just going to have to borrow from the future, which, by the way, that's one of the main reasons why I believe socialism does not work. Because in, you know, in a market like the United States, it's contingent upon you borrowing money from yourself in the future to make all your social programs work. Um, so, I mean, a lot of these guys who say crypto, 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 right? Like the U.S. dollar, for one, is not getting as weak as you think it is because a lot of other major economies are printing like it's nobody's business. If you actually look at how fast the U.S. is printing money, we're actually slower than a lot of these other companies. Look at Japan. Right. If anybody here studies global economics, look at what Japan has done the last two, three years. The amount of money that they've printed to save their own economy is laughable. Right. Like it is very laughable. Like you think this stuff comes from anime the way they print money. You know what I mean? Like it's unreal, dude. So the U.S., man, we, we don't print as much as we think, quote unquote. And not to mention because we're the country that provides the most foreign aid. 
you know, we're the country that, that pretty much is most involved in global trade, global. And, you know, one of the things, and whether you like him or hate him, um, here's one of the things I love um, that Donald Trump did. Right. And guys, I'm not I'm not here to tell you that I'm one or the other. Typically. Right. I'm one of those rare people that likes to do their research. <laughs> you know, like I like to research, man, and I like to figure out why I like this person, why I don't like this person. But one of the things that he did, he's brought a lot of big tech manufacturing back into the United States. And that's one of the most important things to say this economy is you privatize big initiatives. Right. He's doing that with Space Force, with Lockheed Martin, Boeing, with SpaceX, with with Blue Origin. And it's a great, great move because what it does is takes it takes control away from the big entities that want to screw the American people over. Right. I mean, that is as, as true as the sky is blue and the grass is green. So the U.S. dollar is not getting as weak as these crypto investors are being led to believe Um and right now, you know, it's easy to persuade anybody right now. Let's be real, man. It's, it's, people are so easily provoked nowadays when it comes to their money because there's so much volatility that's happening in every single market. You know, real estate prices are at, at all-time highs. You know, we're seeing stock markets go all-time highs. It's extremely volatile. Everybody's very fearful. And when everyone's very fearful, it's easy to provoke them. So that's how they, they, they manage to get a lot of people. But, you know, the main reason why I don't like stocks, man, is I made a YouTube video. You know, my YouTube channel, it just hit 100,000 subscribers. We're very excited about that. You know, I put a video out on why I believe real estate is better than stocks. But I don't, I don't, I'm not a big component of stocks. So at the end of the day, I don't have control. If you're going to invest $500,000 into a company, because that's pretty much what you're doing when you're investing in stocks, at the end of the day, are you in their boardroom? No. Are you working for them? No. You have direct influence in terms of where that company is going to go. No. Right. So you're meaning to tell me that dude, who he can literally just say, hey, I, I built this company since 1961. You know, I, I built it. We have, we have 3,000 employees and we're, we're traded on the public market, right? I'm going to close this business down just because I feel like it, right? You're meaning to tell me that man has that power to do that and destroy your whole life savings, right? No, thank you. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy an apartment complex where not only am I going to get dividends and cash flow, but my value, I have control in terms of how high or low that value is going to go, right? Because I can force appreciate it. I can increase the income. I could, you know, and I could not only that, but I have tax savings. I could, I have depreciation that I could take advantage of for 27 and a half years. I have cost segregation depreciation that I could write off every year on my schedule year, Form 8825. Not only that, but I also have investors. I have principal pay down. There's guaranteed uh, returns that I'm getting every single year. I mean, even if I lose, I win, you know, I mean, for, for me, it's a no brainer, but a lot of people bash real estate because you got to have a tight management system and you got to put in the work you do. You know, it's very easy to just go on the stock market and go to a financial advisor and say, here, you, you, you do something, you know, and, and for those people, right? Like there's, there's other avenues of doing that as well. You can find a guy who's doing real estate on a day to day basis, like I am. And you can say, here, here, I got half a million dollars. What can you do with this? Show me the returns you'd be able to provide. Right. I mean, there's different ways of doing that. But yes, crypto stocks, um, same thing with commodities, right? I'm not a big advocate of investment vehicles that don't provide some type of cash flow, um, typically, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing that people have to know is, you know, and here's what I'll say, man, to kind of sum it all up, right? The educated like control, right? If you're educated, you want to have control. Think about it. If you know how to drive a car, right? And you see somebody who's driving a car that doesn't know how to drive a car, what do you want to do? You want to say, pull over, I'm driving, you know, 
Like it's, it's the same concept. You know, whenever you see the same thing, when you go to a basketball game, you know, if you're a phenomenal basketball player and you go to a high school game and none of these kids know how to play, then it's a, you like, you want to get off the bleachers, throw on a Jersey and you want to be LeBron James and just dominate everyone. You know, um, that's, that's what I always say, man. You know, the, the, the people who, the people who want it, who want control or want it, and not only control, because control sounds like, sounds like such a bad word, but I mean, if, if you want ownership, Right. If you want to take ownership over your own finances, typically the, the ones who are willing to be educated and willing to put in the work are the ones who like that, as opposed to, you know, the people who are like, ah, you know, I just don't want to deal with it. Okay. And I'm so glad you spoke on stocks specifically, how you can invest all the money in a company. You're not on the boardroom for it. You have no idea what the financial plans are, what the future plans are, especially for someone with an entrepreneur type mindset. You can give a thousand dollars to Apple or Amazon, or you can give a thousand dollars to invest in yourself and your own business. And those are things that you can control. Um, so I'm definitely glad you you spoke on that. And to wrap things up here, man, just just with your experience, with all things being said, if there was one piece of financial advice you could give to the people in this this crazy year of 2020, um, what would that be, man? You know, I, I I'd say get educated. I mean, as 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 simple as that sounds, and as cliche as that sounds, that's so true. You know, true. because I I always say, man, if, if if you're not educated, you're controlled. You're easily controlled. You know, the the less educated you are, the more controllable you are. Um, and that's what's happening. If people if people realized what getting a mortgage meant and how much you get screwed over simply just by getting a thirty year mortgage. I don't, I don't think anybody would get mortgages anymore. You know, I mean, if, if people knew how much they get screwed by having a 401k, I don't think people would have 401ks anymore. You know, I mean, the 401k is one of the biggest scams in American history. And, and I could spend, I could spend about an hour, two hours, three hours to tell you why and the other alternatives. So I'd say just get educated, you know, do, do your research, go on Google, go on YouTube. And, you know, the stuff is out there, you know, for the first time in history, right? The technology allows us to be able to get educated, you know, so get educated. I mean, we live in a world, man, where, where it's social media. Everybody wants to have an opinion. Everyone thinks they're an expert, you know, everybody wants to, wants to seem like they know what they're doing. And, you know, it's just a shame, man. Like I go on Facebook and I see all I see are people who just want to talk and not listen, you know, um, and that, that's with anything, with finances, with racial matters, you know, with, with anything, right? So I'd say number one thing, man, is just get educated. Um, you know, obviously my YouTube channel has a lot of resources for that, but there's a lot of other great videos and channels that people can go on to learn. And so that's what I would say. Most that. Well, Daniel, we definitely thank you for joining the Black Voice today. I know you dropped some gems today. I hope that people, you know, learn and enjoy from it. Where can people find you on YouTube, man, or any other social platforms that, that you're on? So my YouTube channel is The Clock Brothers. Uh, so it's uh, T-H-E-K-W-A-K brothers. And, you know, and so we're having a we're having a hundred thousand subscriber celebration here pretty shortly. So we're doing we're doing some giveaways. So it's going to be exciting, man. It's it's a very good milestone. But, yeah, that's where people can find me. And especially, you know, like I said, you know, in, earlier, I, I love love working with African-American entrepreneurs, you know, because you know, they 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 have been you know, in many ways. You know, if you look at their communities, um, you know, they're systematically speaking. So, you know, they, they haven't been given as much opportunities, um, so to speak. I mean, the opportunity is still there for them, right? We live in America. It's the greatest country in the world. It's the land of opportunity. Um, but in many ways, there's, there's a lot of kids who grew up in the projects who they don't get the opportunity as the kid who grew up in, 
you know, upper middle class and his dad has a bunch of friends that can help him out. Well, you guys play this back, man. Probably listen to it twice. Plenty of, plenty of good information here. Definitely go check out the YouTube channel, The Brock Brothers. Um, I hope you guys can continue to learn, um, support. This is The Black Voice. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to The Black Voice, where we motivate and promote change for black culture. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and rate on any platform that you're listening on to help us reach more people. Also, don't forget to participate. Visit anchor.fm slash blackvoicej, hit message, and be heard on future episodes. There's power in numbers, there's power in communication, and together we shall surely rise. This is the Black Voice with Jay Clark. Peace. Yes, I do. I really love you.